Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Ali Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On this edition, after a humiliating defeat to their great rivals, is the Barcelona coach Xavi feeling the winter heat? Also, didn't he do well? What a difference a Dortmund loan has made to Jadon Sancho. And with Le transfer window wide open in France's Ligue 1, who should we be keeping an eye on from there? Before we get on with this show, just a reminder that you can get all the reaction to Jose Mourinho's sacking at Roma on Tuesday's OTC React. Andy chatted with Nicky about where it all went wrong and the fallout. It's got everything you need to know. So go listen to that straight after this episode. OK, we do have to start this OTC with whatever happened to... Barcelona. I mean, it's one thing to lose to your rivals, Madrid, David, but to lose with a hat trick in the first half of play is just beyond the pale. Yeah, it's all about the manner. Um, I think any fan would say, oh, I can take a loss, but as long as we fight, as long as we make it, you know, as long as we put in the effort, I don't think there was really that much effort or care from Barca. They they look the team very much demoralised, very much uncoordinated. And um, and it was extra disappointing because this came on the back of Xavi before they went out for the Supercopa, um, seeing that this is a potential turning point for our season. Um, you know, there's a lot of deriders of oh, Supercopa going abroad, um, having that in the Middle East. Um, and Xavi try to spin that and say, "Oh, this will this will do us good. This could be the turning point for us. This will change us. We can come back for that, and you know, we can our season can be reignited." They went there, and if anything, I think it's had the adverse effect, and it's also heaped the pressure um, on him, and it's brought us. It's culminated to the point of a press conference on Wednesday, in which he said he will leave if they don't win any trophies this season, which. Is there's a decent chance of them finishing the season empty-handed? There's a lot of caveats in that, though, isn't there? Yeah. Give, given that he's in a press conference before they play Unionistas in the Copa del Rey, knowing that in one of the other Copa del Rey matches, Atletico are playing Real Madrid, so one of them are going to get knocked out. You know, is it one of those things where he could get to the end and go, "Oh yeah, well, I did win a Copa del Rey." So really, yeah, you he have has to, he has done that. So so since he's been at the club, and this is what he's coming out with now, his tact in press comments has changed across the season, and I think he's sometimes they, they do come across as excuses. They absolutely do. And he made a great point about being expectations at the club, and he says that they've exceeded them every time. They say, "Oh, I was meant to win nothing this season, and we won a cup." <laughs> and then the next season they said, "Oh, maybe a cup will be good uh, this season." And then he went and won the league and the cup. So there's things like that, and he's he's bringing it down to that. So it'll be interesting to see where he brings it down to this time around. But things have clearly gone wrong. And I think there's huge parallels to what's going on with Eric Tanhag at Man United in that there were some instant highs, um, especially winning La Liga. I think that was huge. And and people saw that as kind of a, a marker down for future success and, and, and almost confirming their thoughts that Javi, you know, there's this been, been this dream amongst Barca fans for 
years when Xavi was still playing, that he'll be the future manager, that he'd be Pep reincarnated in some ways. Um, and it's not worked out like that. And there's huge disappointment, I think, over that, especially with the style of his play. I think people expected expansive, bright mm. football, and Xavi has not been that in any way. And arguably, he's now losing the dressing room or perhaps has lost it. Again, the Ten Hag comparison again, then, and that's another one of these things that, are, that is in there. Yeah, that, that's, that's the question, isn't it? Because I, I think the way that he galvanised the place when the squad was much weaker when he arrived, I think that almost created a, a false expectation as, as, as well. Because I remember going to see Barcelona like maybe a month after he took over, something like that. And they were on their way to not qualifying out of their group in the Champions League. And of course, they didn't do that the season after, which proved an even bigger problem. But this was post-Messi, but pre-Leavers. They didn't really have a, you know, a, a, a decent team to speak of. Um, it was pouring down on a Wednesday night. Camp Nou wasn't even half full. But the atmosphere was amazing. And normally, you could go there on some of and see some of the best Barcelona teams. So you could see Pep Guardiola Barcelona. It's like a trip to the theatre. You know, there's no real fire except for the biggest games. And yet this was a game that normally they would be expected to win, certainly given the stature of the club against Benfica, which they didn't win in really quite unforgiving conditions. The football's not great, but there was this sense of Xavi's here. It's going to be okay. At least we're going to be Barcelona again. So that, I think, tells you so much about what David was saying, What that the manner is important, not just the results themselves. But in terms of the results themselves, what you do in El Clasico and what you do in the Champions League, they're the big things. They and and uh, I, I think you can say, okay, they qualified out of the Champions League group this season. But you look at the quality of the group they face this season compared to the quality of the group they faced last season. So you've got an Antwerp team that haven't been in the competition for 50 years this season. You've got um, a, a severely weakened Shakhtar Donetsk, um, a weaker than they've been for a while, FC Porto as well. And, and they almost managed to trip themselves up in, in that group. They end up winning the group, but not quite at a canter, you, you, would, you would say. And you can look at Napoli and the state they're in and you think, actually, I, I really don't know who the favourite is for that, for that Champions League last 16 game between tie between Napoli and, uh, and Barcelona. And a lot has got to fall into place right for that to happen. I mean, the way they played this Supercopa final, it was almost the worst of both worlds. As David was saying, they got completely run over in the, in the first half. And then in the second half, they twitched enough so that, say, Andre Lunin, for example, it was definitely proved he, he should be keeping goal until Courtois comes back, by Absolutely. the way. He was able to make a couple of saves by... I mean, at that point, um, Araujo had been sent off. They were down to 10 men, Barcelona, and they were losing 4-1. So a goal at that point would have made absolutely no difference. But yeah, they almost enabled Real Madrid to put an extra couple of pages in the brochure we can do it defensively as well. So even in the bit where they were showing a little bit of fight, belatedly, all they really managed to do is prove that Real Madrid are really good. And faster. Yeah, and that's the key, I think. Whenever I've watched Barcelona, when they get found out the most is when they face these physically um, superior teams. And I go back to the Europa League game against, uh, Europa League two-legged game against Manchester United. And Man United just seemed to have more legs about them, more mm. physically imposing. And this was yeah. so noticeable against Real Madrid once again. Now, if you look at Real Madrid over the last few years and the players that they've bought, their talent ID, they have looked to get, you know, physically dominating players in. And I don't just mean guys who are big and strong. I'm on about guys who have got incredible fitness levels, cover a lot of distance. And if you look at who they brought, Chiumeni, Camavinga, Bellingham, Valverde, these guys are all... Big guys. Fit, fit, they're, fit, <laughs> they're physically brilliant in, in terms, and passes just don't really, haven't really cottoned onto that. Isn't that a weird thing, though? How Valverde, for example, I think you're absolutely right. Valverde would have fit really well with some of Guardiola's best ever teams. Because if you think the thing that people always forget about the two great pep teams of, of, of Barcelona, 
the level of physical fitness there is extraordinary. You kind of look at them and you think, oh, they're all little guys, though. They're not six foot four and go about clattering people. But fitness isn't all about that, is no, it? No, physical not. strength is not all about that. It's about covering every blade. It's about being absolutely relentless. It's about pressing. It's about getting in and make, being influential in both boxes. It's about all of those things. And as you say, David, isn't it weird that Real Madrid have got so much more of that than than Barcelona? Yeah, and they and they continue to to target these players. They've been uh, linked with Alfonso Davies this week once mm. again. And if that's their top target, again, he fits the mold of the player that they want. Excellent technically, but also got that physical physical aspect as well. And it helps them dominate these games against Barca. And Barca just haven't, like I say, Barca haven't cottoned onto that. Their talent ID in that level has, hasn't been very, very good, I don't think. Um, they brought in Jules Koundé, they, uh, Ralho came through as well. And I mean, that's another side point because neither of them want to play at right back. And that's another problem that Javi has. And that's this is part of apparently the a lot of disgruntled players behind the scenes. And this is just one of those aspects of this, about who doesn't want to play a right back and somebody wants to play a centre back. And that's another issue that he hasn't really addressed. They haven't got a right back in there. And they've got Dest, they, they had Dest as well. And Dest's a guy who apparently has said that he won't come back to Barca as long as Xavi's there. So I think they'll be fine with that. Uh, yeah, I think they'll be, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's there's, there's a lot of these little battles, internal battles going on, um, which aren't helpful to them progressing and things improving. So it's hard to see how it does improve because they've had several, and this is another thing as well, which is always worrying when you have these uh, stay behind in the dressing room, Laporte is going to come down. We're going to have some clear the air talks and get to the bottom of the problems. I think they've had about three or four of these this season and nothing's changed. Is it fair to say that Xavi still has the support of the Barcelona faithful, given the years that he spent at the club, for example, um, spent many years there, and that's bought him some time. Is it still buying him time? His his legend status will always be intact. That will never ever go away. It's kind of like Solskjaer at Manning. Okay, he he didn't succeed as a manager, but his legend status is completely intact. So Xavi will always have that. But I think there is a a growing number of murmurs now, disappointment at what's going on because they get bringing it back to where I said at the start. I think there was a bit of idealism from Barca fans what Xavi would be as a coach and it hasn't transpired like that. I think the way he talked it as well because you think he spent like the six months, 12 months before he became Barcelona coach saying, this is what I would do if I was Barcelona coach. <laughs> yes, I remember. <laughs> uh, in, in, in extensive newspaper interviews and saying, you know, <clears throat> these are the players I would bring in. So you can't blame people for being disappointed, for expecting one thing and then saying, actually... Is, is this it? The problem is, of course, if you're going to play that kind of football, um, the results are everything. And if the results go, you're in trouble immediately. Mm-hmm. I think when we look at the success of last season in, in winning La Liga, which is a great comeback in some senses, A, he needed recruitment help to do it, as every coach does. You know, there's no problem with that at all. And he did Marc-Andre Stegen to have the best season he's had in absolutely years as well. And we saw that in those two games against Man United that David was talking about in, in Europe. People were scratching their heads going, how is it that Barcelona had conceded? I think they was, they'd still conceded, it was February, and they'd still conceded only single figures in, in, in La Liga at that point. And people were saying, how have they conceded single figures in La Liga? And yet four goals in two games to Manchester United. Well, it's because a very risky way of defending. A very risky way of defending relies quite hard on the athleticism of Araujo, of Balde, normally, of Jukunde. And if you get caught, you get caught big time. And there are two things at the moment. A, if you're going to get caught like that, well, Vinicius is, is going to help himself. Well, of course he is. Oh, obviously, and Kylian Mbappe sitting at home, <laughs> rubbing his hands together, <laughs> possibly, uh, over that. And of course, they haven't got to Stegen in goal at the moment. They've got Iñaki Peña, who's who's a very good goalkeeper. He's great on loan at Galatasaray. Not one-on-one but, but, against Vinny Jr. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can't, you can't win fair. that. And to Stegen probably can't win that either, can he? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's, that's a, an, another issue. But Xavi is... Going back to your Ten Hag comparison, actually, David, because of the intrinsic weakness of the club, that is helping him for the short term. I think in other situations, in other Barcelona eras, he'd have been gone already. Yeah, definitely. With with the form over the last couple of months, with the poor results, um, and with with like the style of, of of play as well. But having said that, because at the moment. 
A, they're short of cash. B, he's he's still ideologically important. So, okay, maybe he hasn't got unlimited credit in the bank anymore, but he does still have some credit. And I think the other aspect, how do they replace him? I mean, there's been talk of, well, maybe they could get uh, Rafa Marquez back and he'd sort of stand in for the moment. But it's just like, that's not really a solution, is no, it? No, it's not. Uh, David, the cash bit that Andy alluded to there or mentioned is actually quite important in this conundrum. If you're going to get rid of Xavi, well, you can't afford, can you? Or they can't afford to bring in somebody who's going to cost any money. So d- does that almost strengthen Xavi's hand at the moment? I think so. I think he knows that as well. I think he knows. I mean, I know they've been, I know they brought players in and what have you like that, but I think he's been hamstrung by that. Um, as well, uh, due to previous regimes um, and what have you, so that's I think a you know a point in on on his side, you know, to his advantage, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think ideally they they would bring in an exciting coach. They would bring. I keep seeing a lot of people saying uh, Deserbi. I can't afford Deserbi, um, you know. And obviously, what Girona are doing at the top of the league right now as well. So people are obviously like, oh, uh, oh, I like Michelle's football. Maybe he should come to to Barca as well, but. Again, this is, you know, I think these are pipe dreams when you look at their financial situation because they've still got to bring players in for next year as well. There's some contracts running down. There's some players that they, you know, they'd ideally like to bring in as well. So And they're selling the family silver, aren't they? Um, or con- trying to, I mean, constantly. I mean, I don't know where they're finding this family silver at because they, they keep finding it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's there's a, always something. Behind there's something the in the, yeah, there's something in the, yeah, back of the sofa, back of the cabinet or something like that. Yeah, they keep pulling it out. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know how many years on they're going to keep selling this part of the studios or whatever like that, but uh, it, it seems never-ending. Looking at the table here, Girona is still clinging on to the top spot in La Liga. We'll see mm. how long that lasts. Real Madrid coming behind them. But this Barcelona side is fourth, which in normal circumstances, you'd think, that ain't bad, is it? I know people expect them to be top two, but it ain't bad. Well, it's, 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 it's not bad compared to where... Jari took over. But th- th- what's happened since, and the fact that they're defending champions, I think the concern is at the moment, when you look at Athletic surging, and Atletico Madrid have had a bad couple of weeks, but they're still in touch with, with Barcelona. Like, top four is, is not definite. Yeah. That's the problem. And, you know, their plan, their financial plan relies on going to into the back end of the Champions League, mm. which this season, because of that Clement draw, they've managed to do. We'll see how much further they go. But what if they didn't get into the Champions League next season? They're back in financial hell all over again, having sprung all the levers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We've mentioned Eric Ten Hag a couple of times already in this conversation. So I'm duty bound to say, if you're Eric Ten Hag, look away now. <laughs> Jaden Sancho, remember him? How well is he doing at Dortmund in this loan period that has just resumed or just started? Well, I thought it was an ideological play to have him on the bench for the first game after he'd re-signed at, away at Darmstadt. 
okay, it was away at Darmstadt, the, the the worst team in the Bundesliga. We have to bear that in mind. But still got uh, to beat them. You do, and uh, they hadn't been beating teams going back before Christmas. Like one win in eight games, and in the Bundesliga, and. The last game of those, they drew at home against uh, relegation-threatened Mainz a couple of days before before Christmas, which pushed Edin Terzic to the brink. Now, you look at Terzic leading up to this game against Darmstadt, and he said, well, Jaden's a good two or three weeks off being, being ready yet. And then they bring him on in the 55th minute. They bring him and Marco Royce on in the 55th minute against Darmstadt. Now, at that point, Dortmund are leading 1-0. They end up winning the game 3-0. And... Sancho creates the second for, for, for Marco Royce, which was his last assist for Dortmund. His last assist was for Marco Royce away at Mainz in the penultimate game of uh, 2021. And you look at that and you think, okay, it's great that Sancho's come back. It's great that the click with Royce is still there. And he looks very happy. And I, we'll come back to that because I think that is very, very important and a, and a, and a great thing to see. But from a Dortmund perspective, how do you get from that point of saying he's not ready to thinking it's 55 minutes <laughs> in, we'd better fling him on? Concern? I think so. I don't think Dortmund are a very good side. I brought this up on the pod before. I think it's a largely dull system. I think they're very negative. Um, and I think this is why it's such a good move for them to bring Sancho back. Um, they do sit in a lot of games. Um, and I think Sancho is somebody who can be clinical on the break in terms of opening up the pitch, bringing others into play. Um, you know, throwing it back to when he was originally there as well. I think we had a more expansive Dortmund. But I think this time they need him even more um, because they don't really have those players who can unlock a defence like he can when he's on his game. Um, and he does. He knows the league now. as He knows the league really well. Um, Royce is still there, so he knows some of the figures who are still around. Um, the club as well so this is an ideal move for him um, as well yeah it's not going to last though and I think there have been he's already been told that probably can't afford him at the end of the season so if he wanted to make it more permanent it's not going to last Uh, before we get to that and we might want to discuss that very briefly what is so special about the relationship between Jaden Sancho and Marco Royce that you've mentioned well, it's it's a technical connection for a start, but I, I think it's worth digging into definitely, Dalton, because if you think about it, there's more than 10 years between them, but they're very close and that they, they have been since the get-go. I think the fact that they technically connected when Sancho first came into the team in his first spell at Dortmund is, is, is important because, okay, they have a lot of the same taste off the pitch, a lot of the same cultural touchstones, but... I think for Sancho to get accepted into the team, because Royce is such an important figure, both because he's a local boy and because he's been there so long. I mean, remember, if we go all the way back to when uh, Royce had his second spell at the club, it's slightly different. You know, when we talked about some of those players who've come back and it hasn't worked for them, like um, Goetze, like Mm. Kagawa, for example, and we think of Sancho coming back in, sort of at least for the moment diminished form. Royce coming back is slightly different because he didn't make it into the first team in, in the first place when he was a kid. So he went off, played regional football, got to play for Borussia Mönchengladbach, and then Dortmund bought him from from Gladbach in, in, in 2012. And so for him, that second spell has been he wasn't in diminished form. He he got back to Dortmund because he'd been doing well rather than going back to refine himself like some of these other players. And, of course, because he, he did it at a similarly young age, I, I suppose you could say. But so this second spell has been Royce living out a dream. Now, of course, a lot of that has been hindered by injury. You know, maybe he would be you know, playing for a Real Madrid or a Barcelona or a, a team like that had he stayed fit and had his form been okay all the way. But I think they've come to accept him for what he is, not what he might have been. And Royce continues to be very, very influential for Dortmund. Now, at that point, when Jaden Sancho was ready to come into the first team, to have that sort of anointed by local God, I think is quite important to say, actually, you're good enough to roll with me. And so straight away, 
he becomes accepted by the team. And that is part of it. And the, the technical connection is so, so much part of it. You, you look at the way that, you know, Royce looks at him and says, you've got all the skills, all the vision, all the intuition, I can play with you. And he always thought that. And you saw actually when this goal went in, it was a great pass from Daniel Marlin to open up the fullback. And then Sancho, no hesitation. You can talk about confidence and all that stuff. He is confident because he's back in his special place. And there's no hesitating. Where he went to the, find himself the, the, again. Yeah, the, the ball just goes straight across first time. Royce walks it in and then Royce comes over and he's like, yeah, you again. <laughs> obviously, well, obviously, because they just understand each other on a level that, you know, doesn't really need anything spoken. I think I think Royce um, is that sort of figure that is ideal for Sancho. There's obviously been a lot of discussion in terms of Sancho's attitude and what he was like at Man United and also the approach of Ten Hag in managing him. And it was funny, I was looking at a, an old quote when Sancho was back at Dortmund and, he, um, and on Royce, he said, uh, when I came to Dortmund, I wasn't so mature. But he, Royce, just teaches me to be calm and play my game, which is quite interesting. And it just goes to show, I think, what sort of character Sancho is. That he just needs that, you know, that, that softly, softly touch and approach mm. to, his, to his game to help him, you know, fulfil that talent. That's it, really, isn't it? Isn't it? Like, you look at some of the little discipline issues, the, the, the ones that... Have, Although um, Dortmund would say, what? What discipline issues? No, they've, you see, they've, no, not, they've yeah. not said that. Oh, okay. You see, that's the way it's been taken over here. Ah. But when Sebastian Kale, the sporting director, said, oh yeah, we, we had problems before we got over them. You know, it's fine. He, he turned up late for stuff in his first spell at Dortmund. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they, they told him off and, like and, and then, they, then, then, they, then they got on with it. Yeah. Honestly, you've no idea about the trains. You're going to find out. You're yeah. going to find out in Euro 2024. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> And I, I think that's the thing, sort of realising that he's still a young man, that he's only 23. Is it, I, I, he, he obviously doesn't respond as well to the stick as he does to the carrot. Yeah. And like, you can't have, like, you know, Eric Ten Hag shouldn't need telling this, but you can't manage every player the same. You can't say the rules are the rules and everyone has to interpret them the same. I, I, that's not a realistic way of managing high-level footballers, is yeah, it? exactly. And obviously, uh, Sancho being a young person, and I defer to you on this, David, being the youngest in the room, um, what Eric Ten Hag and all the coaches need to know is that they express themselves, these youngsters, on social media, and they accept, express themselves in a way that you might be able to interpret because um, he's posted a picture on Instagram, or should I say the gram? or Insta, which, whichever way you want me to say it, on Instagram uh, with Marco Royce saying, some things never change, bro. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so where to for Sancho? Um, assuming that this season goes well, assuming it goes well, what happens next? Because if we're saying that Dortmund aren't going to be able to sign him at the end of the season... Where does he go? I mean, it's very difficult to imagine them being able to sign him at the end of the season. The problem is, I guess, and why they didn't end up, the two clubs didn't end up including a purchase option in the transfer, is the sort of level of money that even maxing themselves out, Dortmund could afford to spend on him, is less than he would cost if he recovers some of his form. But if he doesn't recover some of his form, why would they want to buy him anyway? So that's the quandary. I think the only way it works, the only way it works, is if he plays moderately well <laughs> and takes an absolutely massive wage cut. That's the only way but it Man can United work. Man United are paying some of these wages at the moment, aren't oh, they? Yes, yeah. they are. Now, yeah, now the, 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 way, the way they've briefed the press on it is, oh, yeah, we've, we've got a good deal out of it. You, you haven't got a good deal out of this. You've, you've, you've spent nearly 80 million on someone who you've had to send back to his former club to make him sellable, to, to give him some sort of market value. They'll inevitably end up taking a loss on him. But of course, if he plays well between now and the end of the season, I think you could see a really big club having a, having a go at him. I, I think you could because you know he's got the ability to play there. Do you mean big club like Bayern Munich? 
with that little English contingent. Is that what you're saying? Did you say that? It would look nice, though. That's that's the thing, isn't it? Because when he was... They would have loved him the first time. They would have loved him the first time. And he was part of this new generation of Dortmund footballers. And you include Erling Haaland in that, who did so well and the market had moved on to such an extent that they couldn't afford them. Mm. And, Mm. uh, you know, Bayern tried to max themselves in signing... Erling Haaland, they put everything they had on the table and it still wasn't enough because City were there. And in a market where City exists, where PSG exists, Real Madrid not quite at the same level wages-wise at, at the moment. But when we're thinking of Sancho as his best, would he, would he fit at a Bayern? At a, sorry, we have to say, he, he said it first. Yeah. Nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, put it in your head now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or if we see him, at, could we see him at a PSG? Could we see him at a... Um, at, at any of those clubs. And of course, we, we're, we, we, we could. We're all assuming, Real Madrid even. We're all assuming that Eric Ten Hag is in place at the end of the That's season. That's the thing to consider as well. We well, we, we yeah. don't really know that. Um, but yeah, we'll see. If he, if he is, then who knows? Delict or Kimmich to Man United as part of the Sancho deal? Just Ooh. just saying there. I'm just going to throw that one out yeah, there. You're being mischievous today, but it all works. <laughs> it's, it's January, David, <laughs> we've got today. You've given, got listeners, <laughs> <laughs> you've given listeners reasons to watch this space throughout the season because we'll bring you the news first obviously league and i don't know where they find themselves at the moment the french prem uh andy they're spending it seems more on the transfer window than any other top five european league why is that or how is that well they're busier uh that, that's that's mm. that's for sure um and I think there are a number of reasons for that. I mean, it really starts with with PSG. And PSG, I think you have to take separately because they're in a group with... They're in a different league. Yeah, that, that they are. They're in, they're in a group that their peers are, say, Bayern, for example. And we talked about how they've discussed a number of potential transfers, Paris Saint-Germain and, and, and Bayern, because maybe they can help each other. It's almost a bit like the best clubs in Serie A doing business with each other as has always been the case. I think um they've worked out that maybe they can they can mutually help each other and that, that they are at a similar level. But I think in any January window, the biggest clubs want to stay away from it. You know, you don't really want to go out there and do anything. If there's an opportunity, fair enough. And that is created from desperation. But the January window is all about desperation. That's what it's about. You don't really want to do any volume of shopping in there if you've got all your ducks in a row in the summer. But I think the fact that PSG and Bayern have both got considerable holes in them is what has really led to this situation. They're both still looking. Now, Luis Enrique, we we had a chat about this earlier, didn't we? And you were saying, Luis Enrique said he's very happy with his squad. And I said, well, he did say that. He didn't say, I don't want any more players. I mean, it's slightly different, isn't it? I, I think he's saying, yeah, well, if, if, if we don't get anyone, we don't get anyone. But he wasn't saying, I wouldn't like anyone. Um, they're still looking for that defensive midfielder. Um, mm. We know uh, Gabriel Moscado, who they were going to sign from Corinthians. He's broken his foot. So they've been disputing Corinthians in PSG, whether he has the operation in Brazil or whether he has it in Doha whose player he is when he has the operation. And who's going to pay for the op? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I guess, like, you know, do PSG have some sort of um, uh, safeguard building for if they, they, they sign the player? What it looks like is going to happen is uh, Moscado, is, they're going to agree the deal. Moscado is going to go back uh, to Brazil, recuperate from the operation, yeah, we still don't know where it is. And then from there, he'll play um, up until the end of the European season at Corinthians, and then he will be at PSG for, have for, you seen for pre-season signing. Have you seen him play at all? Do you no, know much no. about him? You, you've seen yeah, him. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, if they're after a traditional sitter, DM, I think he's got a lot more to his game. He looks like more of like a, a box-to-box player um, to me personally. He reminds me a lot of um, Javi Martinez. Okay. Of Athletic and Bayern fame, of course. And he plays a little bit like him he's tagged as a defensive midfielder, but there's just a lot more to his game in, in terms of technical ability and what have you like that. So I think he's more of a box-to-box than a you know traditional sitting DM. I, I guess that's kind of what they need, isn't it? Because 
Ugarte, who worked out really well initially, I think since the feeling has been, okay, well, he can do all the defensive stuff you need him to do, but can he actually progress the ball? He's, he's very, very limited on the ball, and this was always mm. the thing. Um, you can't give him too much to do in terms of progressing the ball. He's very much somebody you just sit in there, don't ask too much of. You just break up play, you make sure nobody gets near you know, our goal, and that's his primary duty. Um, I think PSG perhaps overlooked that and asked him, try and ask him to do a little bit more. And look, PSG have been, you know, lucky uh, for years having a brilliant player like Verratti who can play as a defensive midfielder but also got that incredible passing range. You're not going to get that from Magadi, so you have to realise what type of player he is. Maybe from Moscato, um, who I think does look really, really good, they can get something a little bit extra. And I think teams are always after that ball progresses. Somebody who can carry the ball through midfield drive through and give it to them all, you know, you know, gifted players in the final third. I think that was the idea, someone who could compete with him or play next to him. Because I think Ugarte, how influential he is, depends entirely on who you have next to him. And the fact that the shape of PSG has changed through this season has affected how influential he's been. But, you know, like I think you go outside PSG and a lot of the other clubs in France are busy. And we talked about how, you know, it's, it's a kind of, refuge of the poor planners, the January window. Well, I think you look at the clubs who are active, the big clubs who are active, it shows that they're deficient in a number of areas. Well, that's my turn to ask you, David. Um, talking of Le Fenetre, um, do you want to poke the bear? Yeah, so I absolutely... By the way, Andy, you're the bear. <laughs> I'm the bear. Yeah. He's going to poke you. Well, I'll take that. The most exciting team post Not this the Chicago w- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the most exciting team in League 1 to watch post this January window is surely going to be Leon, suddenly flush with cash. And they've, they brought in some nice players as well. But I just want to know where this, where's this money come from? Well, of course, as uh, me and Pete were saying on uh, Ramble Reacts the other night, um, John Textor was uh, spotted at the Coupe de France game the, 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 the uh, other week downing a beer. Possibly stealing himself for how much he's going to spend this window. I mean, we talked about it being, um, you know, uh, covering up the, the, the planning that you, that you haven't done last summer or the successful business that you couldn't do last summer. That's definitely the case for Marseille. For Lyon, they weren't really able to do that business, of course, because they had a salary ceiling that was being uh, monitored by the DNCG, the Financial Control Board of France. They couldn't really spend any money. So they always said, if we have those restrictions lifted, we're going to go and spend money. And if you look at the back end of that transfer window, um, they sold uh, Castello Luqueba to RB Leipzig. And they sold Bradley Barkala to PSG for 50 million euros. So he's not spending any of his own money, basically. He's spending money that they've generated, which is pure profit from academy products Mm. in in terms of those. So you're looking at, they made something like, what, the thick end of 80 million euros from those, those, those two players. And they've said, okay, we can go up to 50, this, this, this window. And they need it because they're deficient everywhere on the pitch at the moment. Now, they've had this set up, this deal set up to bring the two uh, Brazilian guys over, Lucas Petty, the goalkeeper, who initially at least is going to be back up to Anthony Lopez and um, Adrielson, the centre-back, where they're really short, particularly as they got their two starting centre-backs, Jake O'Brien and Dia Chaleta Tsar, sent off in the defeat at La Havre last week. So they're going into this cup tie, a Bergerac on Friday, and Adrielson's going to have to play. I mean, it's kind of like a nightmare scenario for, you've just arrived from Brazil, it's absolutely freezing in Leon winter. And it's like, how do you fancy an away cup tie on a gluey pitch? Nothing can possibly go wrong. <laughs> It'll be absolutely fine. Now, of course, they've also signed uh, the young Belgian winner, yeah, this is this is what I wanted to talk about this this potential new look forward line that I've got here. Yeah, go on. So I was just putting it down. So you could have Ryan Cherokee as a uh, attack midfielder, Malik Fafana uh, playing as your right winger, Gift Orban as a centre forward. Who's just arriving? Yep. Yeah, and you can't look a Gift Orban in the mouth, can you? Right. <laughs> Brilliant. And Ernest Nwama as a left winger. I mean, that's that's tasty. It it's also very green. I mean, Fafana is um, spoken of in some circles as being. You know, the next Jeremy Doku 
But Doku was really raw when he he came to France as that's as, the way as, you as, like as, as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, it shows what you can do raw. Yeah, well, we can I, add some finesse. I, I guess that's 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 the question. Are Leon as good at developing players as they have been in the past mm. uh, under this new regime? And you know that's clearly the way Textor wants to go. Now, whatever you think of his management of the club, his idea, and maybe it's a little bit like Todd Bowley at Chelsea. You know, get loads of young talent in the building and hope it develops. Now, you have to have a plan to actually develop it and actually integrate it into the team. Now, maybe it could work at Leon because you look at some of the more experienced players like like Lopez, like Tolisso, like uh, Lacazette, like to a, a lesser extent, someone like Maxence Kakare. And maybe, maybe it could work. And at the moment, until the end of the season at least, you've got Pierre Sage in charge of the first team. Now, where did he come from? He was head of the academy before. So there's a guy who knows about developing young players. Now, whether that will work out long-term is a question, but they, I think Gift Orban's a really interesting one yeah. because brilliant first season in Belgium, someone who's just a, a pure finisher, like quick, gets himself in the spot, not shy to shoot. They could definitely do with that at the moment. Has had a bit of a stickier season this season, which has given Leon the opportunity to get in there and, and, and buy him. I think that's on the back of that, from everything I've read and gathered, that's on the back of that Tottenham move not going through. Yeah. That his head had gone a little bit, the club were a little bit disappointed with his attitude post that. And if mm. you look, he's been in and out of the team. He obviously, obviously hasn't performed as well. I mean, still got some goals. He's still got four, 14 goals in his last 16 European games. Yeah, which is which is not bad. Yeah. Um. So that's an exciting one. So it'll be interesting to see if he picks with that form that that got Spurs interested. That Spurs looked at and said, "Oh, is this potential our potential long term? You know, you know, Harry Kane uh, successor." Mm. So it'll be interesting to see how he does. I think Legon is a very good switch from from the Belgian league as well. And like you just brought up as well, I think Fofana is a, a really really interesting one. And again, like you say, in that Doku build, quick footed, elusive, loves a dribble. Mm. Freestyles it almost at times, which and these players are always the most interesting to me. Yeah, um, so. there's always a jeopardy in the transfer, particularly in this transfer window. Out of thought, given all the financial issues that teams have, there's always a jeopardy for smaller clubs, isn't there? That they're going to lose players. And I see, for example, that Brest are struggling to hold on to, particularly some of their big players. Uh, in the league, uh, flying high in third position, amazing. Can can they hold on to the players that they need to continue that? I think they're going to come under real pressure in the last week. There's there's no doubt about that. And I think you look at some of the offers they've received so far. So Ren, who example, who have, have got this Nemanja Matic situation, which is a, he's leaving a, a bit Ren. out of control. Leaving. He, he will eventually. I mean, they've, he's he's got to leave before the end of the window. They need a replacement in at the moment. Now, they've agreed a deal for Matusiwa, who's Azor Matusiwa, the Netherlands midfielder, who's done really, really well mm. at Rance. So, they're going to get him in and maybe Matic is allowed to leave. I think, ideally, they'd not let him go to Lyon because mm. they don't really want to strengthen a, a, a domestic competitor. How but, old is Matic now? He must be... 35. Oh, sorry. So he's not quite in my age bracket then. <laughs> I was just wondering. I thought I could, maybe I could get a game. <laughs> you know, just uh, sit, make the ball do the work. That's yeah, what I he, say. He was never quick enough anyway, even in his mid-20s. So I don't, <laughs> no. I, honestly, I don't think he's lost too much of his game. Exactly. But when we talk about players of that age and the value they have, one of the players that Ren looked at before Matusiwa they looked at uh, Pierre-Lys Melou, who didn't do great in England. Um, he had a few other other personal bits to, to, to deal with. But um, has done very well for Brest. Now, he's 30. They got offered 10 million for him off, uh, off uh, Ren, And Brest said no. Mm. So they're clearly serious about trying to keep it together. Now, like I said, I think that last week will be really, really important for them because... You look at uh, Lilian Bressier, the the, the centre back. He's a really good player, really good player. A couple of league clubs have, have looked at him. Porto have looked at him before they realised it was getting too expensive. Milan, I think, are going to have another big push for him before the end of the window. So for them to try and keep it all together, even if they do keep it all together, there's no guarantee they'll make Europe anyway. I, I think it's very hard for for them to do that, but they want to make it tough for teams and of course this is part of the January transfer window you think okay how much do you really want this player we're going to see 
when the clock really, really starts ticking? I think a lot of these clubs can sit a bit more comfortably now. I think largely due to the, the FFP, PSR paranoia that's mm. currently going around. I think a lot of clubs are looking at that situation. So usually you'd come to that last week, last two weeks of the transfer window. And there'd be heightened pressure, I think, if you have a particular star that could go for 25, 30 million. I think a lot of clubs are going to be a lot more wary now mm. and look and say, can we really, really do that? Can we wait till the summer? Can we get through? And I think largely it's going to be yes. And especially in the Premier League as well. I think, you know, if people are looking around and saying Forest, Everton, and I think Wolves and Fulham were the other two room, it would be close to the, you know, the FFP, PSR line. Um I think your teams such as, I mean, we've seen in previous years, Southampton, Bournemouth and what have you, all, you know, go to League 1 or go to these leagues and, and, and spend 20, 25 million and bring that player in. I think they're going to be a lot more wary of doing that now and say, oh, we can wait to the summer, look at our finances, look at our league situation, where we are, and then maybe move then. But it's changing the way business is done. Definitely. De- definitely. Even within League 1, I would say, because you look at Marseille and they are prone to a grand gesture transfer uh, often to their ruin in, in, in the past and I think you go back to this time last year when they spent a record on Vitinha who's not really worked out at all and not especially happy there it's a shame because I think me and you lack, I remember we were on the pod at this time yeah. last year and we were waxing lyrical about that move and it's a shame that hasn't worked out yeah, he didn't hear you he didn't shame. subscribe to the pod did he <laughs> <laughs> he should be, he should be. <laughs> but I, I think you look at the business they're doing they're busy and they're going to be busier, Marseille, before the end. And, you know, as we said, it's because their team, they've worked out in the first half of the season. Well, obviously, they had the off-pitch stuff, um, the Marcelino leaving, the problem with the fans, Longoria, the president threatening to go, all, all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, people look at Gattuso as this sort of maniac. He's actually brought this sort of strange calm there because he's, he's a combustible bloke. They're a combustible club. And they've managed to like bring each other down a notch. And he's brought some order to the way they've played, which has is, is really helped as well. But I think you look at the business that they've tried to do, it's actually quite sensible on the margin sort of business. So Ulysses Garcia, who they've brought in, you know, probably the best um, fullback slash wingback in the Swiss League has, has, has come over from young boys, used to playing European football at a really high level. Um, they needed that replacement for Nuno Tavares. Um, who was it was good for them last year because Renan Lodi's not quite been it, and of course they've sold Renan Lodi on a profit, which is also good news for Atletico Madrid because they get like eight million sell on. He's, he's gone off to Saudi um, Arabia. Saudi Arabia. He's gone to Al Hilal. Yeah, and you look at um, the striker they brought in, uh, Faris Mumbanya, who has, has looked the part in the year that he's been a Bodo Glimt, looked decent in Europe as well. Someone who does have that bit of presence. I mean, it's not good news really for Vitinha because you look at no. Mumbanya and you think he's the kind of guy that Aubameyang could play off. You could either play one or the other or you could basically get Mumbanya, who's really strong, really quick, to do the dirty stuff for Aubameyang because he really engages defenders to give him that little bit more freedom to add those touches of finesse, which he's been increasingly doing in recent weeks. Yeah, keep watching the space because that, the final week of the uh, January transfer window sounds like a cracker already. But before we get there, uh, we do need a game of the week recommendation uh, from both of you. Um, good game to watch over the weekend. Uh, perhaps, who wants to go first, David? You got one? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, I'm going to go for uh, Sunday, 5.30. Uh, we've got, Real Betis versus Barcelona. Now, Betis a little bit out of form. Only one win in their last six. Barca coming back after their super copper drubbing, of course. So there's a bit of pressure on both sides coming to this. Betis always raise their game when they face Barca and Real Madrid. They've got to. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think this is an interesting game to look at on, on, on both sides. Um, in terms of food, I'm going very simple. Uh, I'm going to go a nice little Catalan dish. It was always my favourite dish when uh, living out there and that's pan con tomate just get some nice crusty bread just scrape your tomato on top and a little bit of olive oil done and that's it's beautiful. It. that's it but it is fantastic can we have a week where you don't pitch for a cooking show <laughs> <laughs> the game of the week from you Andy um, I'm going to go for Saturday tea time 
as we're, we're, yeah. we're talking about the food. So something um, nice. To yeah, eat with uh, it. half uh, half past five. Yeah, oh, right, okay. half past five. It's uh, Leipzig versus Bayer Leverkusen, which I think will be really interesting. Now, Bayer Leverkusen with that late, late, late Ezekiel Palacios goal uh, last weekend at Augsburg made sure they were top at the halfway point of the Bundesliga. They deserved to, and also they kind of needed that because. They'd had a bit of a rubbish week with the news that uh, Victor Boniface is going to be out until April uh, with that thigh injury, not just keeping him out of the African Cup of Nations, but keeping him out for a, a little bit longer. They they might do something in the transfer window because of that. For the moment, they've got Patrick Schick who can step up. He's looked brilliant since he's come back from injury, actually, and you know has got that sort of profile where he can lead the line. They'll need that greater depth. They've got a couple of other African Cup of Nations absences at the moment. And Leipzig, who of course have slimmed down a little uh, with a few fringe players leaving. Timo Werner's gone. Um, Emil Forsberg has gone to New York Red Bulls. And um, not a great start from them. You know, they they lost their first game after the restart at home to Eintracht Frankfurt and looked a little bit blunt. Not that I'm saying that Werner off the bench would have necessarily made a difference, but mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they were lacking their normal the normal bite, the, the, the normal punch, I, I, I suppose. Um, but another very challenging away game for Leverkusen. And we'll, we'll see how long they can they can keep it up. Look, I, like David, think you need to keep it simple, mm. especially in winter. We've, we've spoke about this before. If you're going to make sauerkraut for the game on Saturday, <sighs> you need to start on Thursday. Now, that's yes. only the accompaniment. I think you do need strong mustard. I think you need a variety of sausages and bread oh, for this. So let's go, Germany. let's go Bockforst. Let's yeah. go Bratforst. Yes. Let's get one of them little slicing machines yeah, yeah. and make the currywurst as well because nothing hits in January and February. Don't shake your head at me. You know my, <laughs> you know my views on this. <laughs> I was so worried when he was picking the Bundesliga game. I was like, oh, I know what's coming. <laughs> Halftime currywurst keeps the cold out. Yeah. It's really important. Especially, it especially some, in Saxony. Can we wash it down with some idle vice? Yeah, why not? Eh? Yeah. Thank you for listening to On The Continent. Make sure you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On The Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.